she's been through a lot and she's terrified of everything in the world but despite that she is just the most beautiful gentle creature you're listening to the that dog podcast the show that brings you life lessons from dogs shared by the people who love them most i'm your host harriet alexander here to discover another that dog story I've got a great guest for you today. Sam is a canine behavior consultant and trainer in London who has a strong focus on building wonderful and trusting relationships with our dogs. She has two gorgeous rescue dogs and we'll be hearing a bit more about one of them today. Sam also has a brilliant YouTube channel, which I recommend to people all the time, featuring different enrichment activities you can do with your dogs. And she's also just become a trustee of Project Galgo, and we'll speak a bit about that during the podcast. Welcome, Sam, and it's so great to have you here. Hello. Thank you for having me. Any excuse to talk about my dogs? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's always enjoyable. Before we do that, I know firsthand being a a dog trainer in London can be really interesting and also can come with some challenges. How have things been in the past year or so for you and what's been the focus of your work during these weird times? Yeah, they've been good. I've been grateful that the work that I do has been busy and I've had work a lot of puppies like so Mm. I live in in Fulham London southwest London massive puppy booms but the moment a lot of adolescent dogs all over the place I guess challenges I mean the local parks are very very full Mm. of a lot of off-lead young dogs because of that I often avoid these parks with my dogs (laughs) a lot of rescues as well a lot of rescues from abroad and I've been working with quite a few people with rescue dogs from different places in the world, which is great, but it it is challenging because it's a fairly busy area and some of these dogs arrive unequipped to be able to deal with that. With some dogs, there's lots of expectations, whether it's a puppy or a rescue, being able to settle and have all of the skills very, very quickly. And when you're in London, it's a very busy, stressful place. I find it busy and stressful, so I can only imagine what it's like for a young puppy or a rescue dog. So a lot of the advice I've been giving is to try and decompress and help our dogs relax and help them gain all the useful life skills to be able to deal with living in a the hectic, busy sort of pandemic world that we're in. Yeah, for sure. I mean, have you had a similar thing? here with a lot more puppies, I think, than usual. I know a big concern that's been raised is is how those puppies will develop. Will being in a lockdown environment make things different for them? Are you finding that in your experience? I found that during lockdowns, I was just doing online consults and then it would always be post-lockdown when I would start to visit people's gardens that I would get puppies that were either super super excited to see me to the point Mm -hmm. of just as soon as the moment they saw me just toilet accidents everywhere or on the other hand having puppies that would just hide for the whole session which I'd never had before and Mm. people would say you're the first person we've had in our home and I really feel for people who have you know done all the research and really tried their best to find the right time to get this puppy and then another lockdown hits and they've really struggled with the socializing aspect, which then you know means you're going into adolescence with these quite you know 
fearful dogs in some aspects, whether it's to other dogs or people or, or to children, because maybe they live in a house with teenagers, but have never come across children before. And then it's the summer holidays. So in terms of just that gradual exposure to all of these different stimuli that you come across in a city, I think that has definitely been quite haywire and has led to a, a variety of different issues. Yeah. And I guess um, you'll be seeing how that progresses. It'll be interesting to see how it pans out and the things you can do yeah. to support these dogs too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you mentioned rescue dogs and dogs from overseas, which I think brings us nicely to You're That yes. Dogs. So do you want to tell us who You're That Dog is and how you met them? Yes. So um, much to the disgust of my other current dog, Ivy, who is a, a rescue greyhound and I love dearly, but she would be absolutely disgusted to hear that I wasn't talking about her today. Although I, I'm sure <laughs> she'll come up in conversation. Today, I'm going to focus on my other current dog, um, who is called Raina. And she is a Galgo who we fostered last November and that lasted about 10 days until I realized that I'm awful at fostering dogs and I asked if I could keep her. <laughs> I'm not shocked by this. No yeah. one was shocked. Yeah, as soon yeah. as we brought her in, everyone was saying, yeah, she's not going anywhere. Like, yes, <laughs> she is. I'm going to foster many dogs because it's a wonderful thing to do. Mm. It helps so many dogs and myself and my husband were so keen to do it. But yeah, we failed. She's wonderful. And she is a Galgo, I believe. Yes, she is. Yeah. Until we realized we were getting rain, I hadn't actually heard much about Galgos. If, if you don't know what they look like, I would advise people to do a little Google search because they're incredibly cute and, yeah, wonderful looking dogs. They're very similar to greyhounds, but there are a few differences. So they're built more for endurance. So their build is slightly different. They're mainly a little bit smaller, although Rain is a very big galgo, so she's mm -hmm. actually the size of our greyhound. Um, they've got floppier ears and also bigger feet. You can tell the difference. My greyhound is exhausted after a 20, 30-minute walk, and Raina, our galgo, could just keep going and go. She could walk for hours. Yeah, um, right. She just has these enormous big feet. And, yeah, I am sure if she had the choice, she would just roam around for many hours. I think people, you're right, they should definitely look them up because they look like greyhounds but not, right? This, if you're not. Yeah, they look you like if you mix before. a greyhound with a gremlin, they yeah. sort of... <laughs> They look horrible. a bit like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know you've become an ambassador for Project Galgo. So would you be able to explain a bit more about the Galgo, the situation they're in and, and what your role in the charity is? Yeah, of course. So I, to my shame, I didn't know a huge amount about the situation over in parts of Spain with the Galgos. And I should also say Pedencos as well, because they face... A very similar situation in mm. parts of Spain. They are classed in Spain as a working dog. So because of that, they don't have protection under Spanish law. Many Galgos, because of this, end up being victims of quite cruel and inhuman practices that are surrounded in tradition, like so many of these practices are. It's estimated that around 50,000 Galgos are killed a year, which is, is a, a huge number. And many, many others are abandoned or abused or just living in pretty squalid conditions. It sounds very dramatic. And when I was doing a bit of research into them, when I knew we were getting Rainer, I was thinking, well, this 
I'd never heard of this. This can't be. I would advise anyone who is interested in, in learning about the plight of the Galgos to watch. There is a wonderful documentary. I don't know if you've seen it, Harriet, called Yo Galgo by um, Yere Lopez. Mm. Um, it's a difficult watch. I don't enjoy watching things that make me sad. <laughs> Um, no. <laughs> so it was quite a har- it was quite a harrowing watch, but it was also a really great watch. Mm. Um, it's a wonderful documentary, multi award winning, and it really does go into great detail about what these galgos are facing. It's a really sad situation. They're hugely overbred, and their population is just going up and up and up. There are some wonderful charities that are doing their very best to help as many of these dogs as possible. But until there's big changes made within government and the protection given to these dogs, it's just like fighting this tide of these poor dogs um, that are just in these awful conditions. But saying that, I was super thrilled to be asked by Helena Jackson. So she's spearheaded Project Galgo and they're collaborating with a charity in um, Malaga called Galgos en Familia, who do wonderful work rescuing Galgos from um, the streets in Spain and helping to rehabilitate them and giving them homes throughout Spain, but also across Europe as well. And Project Galgo aims to bring over as many Galgos. I should also say we are bringing over Pedencos as well. And to be honest, any dog that they have that we feel that we can help, we are welcoming with open arms. We're building a network of foster carers that can help rehabilitate these dogs. And from then on, finding forever homes. Myself and I believe, you know, Penny Clayton, who's also a trustee and working with Project Galgo, we're offering behavioral support. And all our Galgos also come with trackers and harnesses and a whole rescue package. So mm-hmm. we're really excited. We've already brought over quite a few dogs. We found homes for some, others are in foster. As soon as Raina came over, I just fell in love with the breed and I was so happy to be asked to be a part of it and I would say if anyone is living in the UK and is interested in fostering or adopting please look into Project Galgo because that's what we're working on at the moment the more fosterers that we have and the more donations that we have then ultimately the more dogs that we can can help. I love the idea that people get that early support as well when you get any new dog in your home and especially a rescue who's maybe been through some pretty traumatic things Mm -hmm. the early days can be very challenging so it's great that there is that behavior support and even just getting some of the gear so you're ready to go I think that can make a big difference. It's really important to us because I know in my work and every dog isn't going to be for every person or every family but there's always going to be returns that happen for a number of reasons but I certainly come across a lot of situations where a dog travels all that way over, is is homed with someone, and then within a couple of days is returned, ends up back in a kennel somewhere. And these dogs have been through enough. They deserve yeah. every chance to try and find the right home and be rehabilitated in the right way and really just take all of those expectations away from them about you know how they should be in those initial few weeks and just let them recover. A lot of these dogs have been through physical trauma and emotional abuse and really just trying to create an environment where they can you know, decompress and then flourish into amazing dogs, which you know tends to be what happens. That's really what the aim of Project Galgo is. Just from my time with Raina, she is the most gentle soul, incredibly cute, but she's clearly been through a lot. When we took her to the vet for the first time, he said, oh, she looks like she's been in a blender. What's happened to her? You know, she's had an ear cut off and she's got, she must have about 15 to 20 scars all over her. 
Um, she clearly had puppies. She's been through a lot and she's terrified of everything in the world. But despite that, she is just the most beautiful, gentle creature. Um, and that seems to be the way with a lot of them. They're just these wonderful animals, even though they've been through a lot. They have this resilience about them and they do seem to really flourish in the right environment. You were talking a bit about those early days and how important that is. As a real life example, what were the early days and, and months even like with Raina? You obviously you have all of this love to give and you're so, oh, so desperate to, to make this dog feel safe and loved and you know, she was absolutely terrified of me, of my husband. I, I was very glad that I had securely attached her in the car because the moment the door opened, she was just throwing herself at the air, trying to escape. Incredibly shut down. She would hide under the table. She would follow us. It was almost like she, she needed to know where we were. But the moment we looked at her or walked towards her, she would just shut down and skulk backwards. We'd see these little moments of boldness, but then she'd almost scare herself and retreat <laughs> back into her. Where we were quite lucky is that she was instantly attached to our greyhound. I found an immediate comfort in there being another dog in the house. And luckily, Ivy was very good with her for the most part. Um, <laughs> and just being around Ivy brought her a lot of confidence. But not only that, she would watch Ivy and she would watch Ivy with us. Whatever Ivy would do, you'd see her looking at her and watching what she was doing. And then she would start doing the things that Ivy had done. So she definitely learned about the world and how you know, approaching us and getting on the sofa <laughs> and all of these things she would watch Ivy do and then have a little go herself. So that made it a bit easier. And then, like I say, really in those initial few days, it's just taking all those expectations off because you want to reach out. And I know not to do it, but still I wanted a, a hugger and stroke her and just make her feel okay. But we just didn't. We just tried to just give her that space. Eventually she did start coming around to us. And I think it was about a month in. Normally I would come in the front door and take a step in and I'd see her vanish down the corridor and she'd hide in the kitchen. And then there was one day I walked in the front door and Ivy did her usual, came to say hello. And then Raina came galloping down the hallway and boofed me with her paw and then ran away again. And I thought, <laughs> I, I nearly cried. because <laughs> It was just so lovely that like she'd had this sort of, surge of excitement that I was home and then mm. got a bit scared again. There was definitely a turning point about three to four weeks in where we've just started to see more of her character come through, which has been really amazing to see. For sure. And you talk about creating a really safe space for her or maybe not putting too much pressure on, which I think is really hard for humans to do. We find it difficult. How did you go about that? Are there any tips you would give around those early days to help with that? I can only really speak what's in what's worked for myself. And I know this goes against yeah. what other people have told me that rescues have told them. What I'm often hearing is people will tell me that the rescue said that it was good to keep them in their crate, limit choices, just make their world very simple, very small, so that then they can build up that confidence within it. If I'm honest, that's my house, my rules. I've always done the complete opposite <laughs> of that. And it has worked for me. I tend to just give as many options and choices as I can. We're in a ground floor maisonette and we'll generally just keep all the doors open. Whatever room is safe for her to be, the, our dogs to be in, they can be in. And um, they've got numerous beds around the house, really just, just trying to give them that. You know, if they want to be with us, great. If they want to sleep in a different room, 
okay, that's fine. And definitely with Raina, I just tried to give her that space. Because also need to keep in mind that with Raina, she had been badly abused. She'd clearly been physically hurt in different ways. However, we know that she'd been free ranging on the streets for at least three years. And although in my mind, I'm thinking, right, I've, been, I've saved her. I've given her a safe home. We also need to keep in mind that if you're a dog that's used to covering a couple of miles a day and ranging around and scavenging your own food, suddenly being in a small ground floor maisonette in a city, can I imagine feel a bit like being put in a prison? Mm. And Mm -hmm. I was well aware that although, you know, I was very convinced that I was giving her this wonderful new home to help rehabilitate her, there were definitely challenges for her. So I was really keen to give her those options, give her that space. I really tried to be non-scary and non-threatening. I would shuffle around sideways and <laughs> not look at her too directly. Yeah. If you drop something, she would just scarper and hide. My husband is a, a tall six foot two man and he was just really trying to be non-threatening and move quite slowly and not slam anything. It does take a lot of time and, and learning about the part of the brain, the amygdala, it's the fight, flight, reflex. Um, it was so active in her. You know, you would move and she would just throw herself mm. to the ground. Or if we were outdoors, if a jogger went past, she would just throw herself to the floor. It was so active. And that takes a huge amount of time to start to relax even the tiniest bit. Two or three weeks in, our alarm went off. And then suddenly I felt, boof. And it was Raina had jumped and landed on my chest. And I just opened my eyes and saw her face in my face. <laughs> and she started to have these weird, quirky ways that would come out, which I know some people would say, oh, you don't want your dog jumping on the bed in the morning. But to me, it was all of those things that I thought, oh, that's her being a dog. I'd catch her rolling around on the sofa or scratching herself against the cupboard or just being a bit weird. And it's what was all of those things I would I would think, oh, yeah, she's she's doing something really doggy. And I, I absolutely loved it because for the first couple of weeks, she was just this little shut down thing with these huge scared eyes. So then when you see a dog that's rolling around on the bed and making all these weird noises, to me, that was like, yes, yeah, she's starting to she's starting to relax, which was amazing. Yeah, I often think cheekiness or whatever you want to call it is such a good sign. The fact that they're being bold and experimenting with different behaviours can be wonderful to see. Um, Yeah, and the last thing I want to do in that moment is to catch her and make her feel bad or scare her. And and I think it's all about when people say, oh, my dog has a a behaviour problem. It's like, well, what is a problem? One person's problem isn't another person's problem. So as an example... The time that I see Raina looking the happiest is when she finds something smelly on the grass and rolls in it. And she has the happiest face. And she just looks so pleased with herself that she's found (laughs) something smelly and is just rolling around on her back. And I know for some people that for them would be a problem that then they have a slightly smelly dog. They have to go home and clean. But if I'm honest, again, my home, my rules, I don't really mind. I'll come home and I'll clean her up. But what's important for me is that, again, maybe it's because I've seen her so shut down and so scared. But those moments, I'm like, you know, yay. <laughs> was it difficult seeing how Raina was reacting and and seeing how shut down she was? I imagine that even just thinking about the experiences she must have had would be emotionally quite hard at times. Yeah, it was. And we know a little bit about her past and that she was mm-hmm. on the radar of this charity and that they knew she was getting sort of physically hurt and they kept seeing her with different injuries and scars. I think once 
I started bonding with her. It did make me really upset. And what can you do other than just make them feel loved and safe as much as you can so that mm. they that isn't quite as as present in them months in and even now she's still very timid of strangers or anything that moves quickly past her gives her a shock so it runs very deep but of course I've, I've said many a times like if I ever saw whoever hurt her of course yeah, yeah. <laughs> the things I do you feel all... such rage you get your, your mum bond where you just want to protect them fiercely but the main thing is that she feels safe and she's got a safe home for herself. Mm. Um, we know that she also had had puppies and that mm. when she got caught, the puppies were on the outside of the trap and ran away. And they were oh, luckily found bad. by another charity. <laughs> but I imagine the whole her getting caught must have been quite traumatic for her. And that makes me sad. We got sent photos of the puppies. The whole situation isn't nice. But again, all that you can do is give them the safe home now and help them whatever way you can. Yeah, which she certainly has, which is so wonderful. I'd love to know more about the moments where you started to see that she was feeling more confident or any things that she's done over these nine months that you thought, oh, I didn't think she'd get there, for example. Yeah, so I, I think there's a few things. The, fir- I think the first thing was the running up to the door to meet us. And now that's every single time we come in the front door. But mm-hmm. We can leave them alone, both her and I, if you will just have, go back to bed. They're very lazy dogs. But she's so happy to see us and will just gallop up to the door and spoof us with her paws. She's so joyous when she hasn't seen us for an hour and then we appear again. Even if we go out for five minutes, we come back and she's like, yay! <laughs> Which is so far from where she was. So that's really really lovely. This might surprise people, you know, being a dog trainer, but I still don't let her off lead unless it's an enclosed area. And we're lucky we have a few enclosed areas near to where we are and we have a car. So we do take her to enclosed areas to have a bit of a run. But we were warned that she was a definite flight risk. It had taken the charity three years to catch her and to be able to bring her into safety. So we bought a tracker in case we ever dropped the lead. And we just know with all of her fears that if she does get a spook, could be a flight risk. And we also live near a couple of main roads. So it was just for safety. But when we do let her off in these enclosures, she obviously had no inclination to come to us. <laughs> I, I would just let her have a run and then I would just go and collect her because... For her, just having some freedom and being able to sniff and trot around was the most rewarding thing. She had no inclination to come over to us and say, okay, should we go home again? It took probably four or five months, but then there was a moment where she would just start checking in with us and she would have a bit of a run, a bit of a sniff, and then she would run over to us and check in and we'd give her a bit of fuss. And then she'd run, and we'd say, go and play. And she'd run off again with Ivy and but she just started anchoring to us. Or if there was another dog in the enclosure that she was a little bit scared of, initially she would have just run and hid. But she started coming to us and going behind our legs mm-hmm. for safety. That's a big shift, isn't it, for a dog? It was a big like shift, right I think, mm. because I think what I totally understood was in terms of keeping herself safe, she depended on herself. She was a definite flighter. Anything scary happened, she would want to run away. For me, a big shift was when she started gravitating towards being scared and coming over to us so if a stranger's in our home she would just come to us if there's a little Yorkshire Terrier that's just come into the enclosure that she finds a bit scary she would come and hide behind my husband's legs so obviously I'd rather she just wasn't scared of these things but at the same time the fact that she was gravitating towards us to help herself feel better I found to be yeah a a big shift also with Ivy a weird thing about Ivy is although she's a greyhound she doesn't really like other dogs running. She'll just <laughs> front of them. 
It's only but so she can run. If another dog runs, she will cut them off and then bark once in their face as if to say, what are you doing? I'm the one that runs. <laughs> and this happened to poor Raina. Whenever she'd try and run, Ivy would just stop her from running. And it took about a month, but then they did start running together. Um, and now they will have runs together. And that was really lovely. And actually really lovely for Ivy, because although I've had Ivy in my life now for two and a half years, She's never really been with a dog long enough to get that comfortable where she can just run around with them. Um, they don't really play together, but they will just have a couple of laps and have a bit of a run together. And that was a really lovely shift. And also just the fact that Raina could run. I felt awful that we take her to these enclosures and she'd try and run and be told off yeah. for doing so. <laughs> so Hi. the fact that she could have a run, I know. The fact, well, you've, you've met her. She's, yeah, uh, lovely, but she's got a, a sassy nature. <laughs> Let's yeah, let's talk about Ivy because obviously we don't want to leave her out of, of the story because she's a key enough. part of it. And you brought Rainer into a multi-dog household, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on how that process went and any ideas for people who may be about to do that, for example, just some considerations or, or learnings that you yeah. had. And I should say that I broke a lot of my own rules because I felt like I didn't have a huge amount of choice. Mm. I tell people, try and introduce on neutral ground. We bought Raina in November, not long after fireworks night. And Ivy was refusing to leave the house once it got dark because she was very scared of the fireworks. So we had no choice but for them to meet in our home. So that was just something I had to manage because that there just didn't seem to be another option. I always tell people, don't worry about taking your new rescue dog for a walk for those initial few days. However, the issue that we had was that Ivy wanted her walk desperately and Raina didn't want to leave Ivy's side. So we did take Raina out earlier than I would like, but we just made sure that we went really early. We got it ridiculously early just to make sure that it was a bit quieter. It was something I was a bit nervous about. The last thing I wanted to do was to bring over this rescue, it to go horribly with Ivy because I knew that she was good with my parents' dogs and a few other dogs that she felt safe with. Um, but there are dogs that she doesn't like. She doesn't like dogs that, that that jump on her or are young or bouncy. She'll tolerate some of them, but she doesn't really like them. The last thing I wanted to do was to have a situation where I was managing two dogs that did not get along. I did try to matchmake as much as possible. Obviously, whatever dog we would have ended up with, I would have tried to make work. But I did know the certain personality traits that Ivy was more comfortable with. Ivy likes any dog that is non-threatening. So if it's an old dog or an unwell dog or very scared, they'll gravitate towards Ivy, I think, because she's quite solid and, and strong and quite calm. And then we were we were just quite lucky. We brought Raina into the, the house and Ivy came out. And I think Ivy was just so aware that, that Raina was so shut down and so mm. terrified that she gave her a little sniff and then that was it. She was very chilled with her and Raina just stuck by her side. There was a couple of challenges. It wasn't all extremely easy. You know, the biggest issue I would say that we faced was the, the closeness that Raina wanted to Ivy. You know, Ivy tolerated it to a point, but Raina wanted to be in bed with her. She wanted to snuggle on top of her. She just wanted, <laughs> I think, the safety to be curled up with her. And Ivy didn't, Ivy just didn't want that. She's got her own bed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she just likes her, of her space. Space. Yeah. likes her personal Fair space. Enough, I understand. Yeah. Which is it's perfectly fine. I, I I totally understood that. I went on the Spanish charities website and I would see all the galgos curled together in a ball and sleeping. And I thought, ah, oh, that's clearly what she's used to and what she's really wanting. But you have to have your current dogs back. 
as well. You have to be keeping an eye out for those early signs of your other Mm. dog being a bit unhappy and managing that so that that isn't an escalating problem. It meant that I didn't get a lot of sleep the first couple of weeks. <laughs> I was a bit of a ninja in terms of I would sense that Raina was pottering over in the night, starting to climb into Ivy's bed, and I would just have to get up and manage that situation. That was definitely I think, the biggest challenge, just them finding their way with that and not overstepping the mark, but just managing it so that that wasn't going to become a, an, an issue. I think that's really important. And I think that's a great point about being really aware of your current dog and how they are feeling. Cause I think it's easy to get swept up in the new dog or the new puppy or whatever it might be, and maybe miss some of the signs that they need a bit of extra support. And we just tried to do really nice things with Ivy in the presence of Raina. Yeah. When we were starting to go out, we'd go to really nice places together. I would always give something yummy to Ivy, something yummy to Raina, and then another additional yummy thing to Ivy. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't feeling left out so really I was, you know, I was trying to you know, help her learn this is great rain is here we get to do all these lovely things together <laughs> and you know which did seem to do the the trick and she was they for, for the most part very accommodating to Raina which I think mm. partly was just her understanding that she was in a, a, bit, a bit of a state well, it sounds like for Raina, Ivy was a lifeline there and gave her yeah. huge comfort that, that maybe you wouldn't yeah, in the same way. Yeah, if I'm honest, I, I can't even really imagine what it would have been like without Ivy. I'm sure we would have gotten there, but she seemed to just get so much strength from Ivy being there and just really kept her eyes on Ivy. And even outdoors, she would just stick by her side. And actually what's interesting now is that they still occasionally will sleep near each other. And I think Raina looks very happy if she's managed to grab a snooze spot and she's got her paw resting on Ivy. I'm like, oh yeah, she's happy. But actually now they, you know, they come and lie with us more so that they might be separate more. They might go into different rooms. And that's something that's been quite nice is that when Raina started we'd all be in the living room and she might come in and have a look and then think, actually, she wants to be on the sofa in the office, which is great. That means that she's feeling confident enough that she doesn't have to be stuck like glue to Ivy. That just took a bit of a bit of time, really, and mm. a lot of encouragement to sleep anywhere else that wasn't directly on top of, of Ivy. <laughs> I love because it almost goes full circle back to what you were saying earlier on around choices and giving Raina lots of choice in your home so where she could go and where probably felt safe to her which often I think we don't really know what that is the dogs figure that out Mm -hmm. for themselves but it makes me think that if you had really restricted her or created her that she might not have even learned to make that choice to go to somewhere that's different to Ivy or select a different spot yeah I'm aware that I said oh I give as many choices as I could the one choice I didn't give her was completely invading Ivy's space yeah and actually they would subtly communicate to each other it was when Ivy was asleep that's mm. when I would sort of stop her from climbing on top of Ivy we did have one incident where Ivy was asleep and Raina just jumped on top of her because she got a fright and it was all a bit of a, a ruckus so we that that yeah. was the one thing I was like you can have all of these choices yeah. the one thing you cannot do <laughs> is jump on, on Ivy, Ivy when she's asleep <laughs> yeah yeah that's pretty fair <laughs> Yeah. And again, I can only speak from my personal experiences, but I certainly feel that by giving choice and taking away those restrictions, I know if I'm going to go out for the hour, they'll probably hop around different rooms in the house. Mm. Um, 
that makes for them being just more relaxed and they don't like restrictions. Yeah, for sure. So you had, you know, lots of experience before you got Raina because this is what you do professionally, but do you think since having her that your work has changed anywhere? Has she influenced your work? I would say that it made me reassess the time scale. It's magical three months that we mm-hmm. hear about that by three months, they'll be totally themselves. I, I always knew well, that's not a lot of time, but it mm-hmm. wasn't until getting Raina. And like I say, we're nine months in and there's still so much further that I think that she can go I really felt that oh there's no there's no rush why are we rushing why are we trying to hit targets at certain times um why are we focusing so much on the things they can't do I'll get hugely excited about a tiny thing that she did which she didn't do a couple of weeks ago I've never been a dog trainer that's been into teaching the trickier side I've always wanted to focus on right what is useful so living in a city what is the things that we need to have just happy dogs, a good, strong relationship between dogs and people, and also just life skills that are going to help prevent our dogs getting into to trouble or get, mm-hmm. getting hurt. But particularly with Raina, I think some people would be horrified at just the lack of training that I did with her. <laughs> so I did very limited things that, that were beneficial for her safety, like waiting at the side of the road, working on recall. But aside from that, it was very much let's just let her be and try (laughs) and help her hectic little brain start Mm. to relax a bit. And what can I do to help with that? What can I do just to give her a little bit of joy within her day? We're nine months in and it it just cemented in just that, just take that pressure off. Um, I might come across people that say, oh, you've had her a while now. Is she not doing this? Is she not just, does she sit? Does she know, why isn't she off lead? And it's really just going, meh. But the main thing is that she's safe and she's happy and she comes home and she sleeps well and she loves her food and all of those things, really. And I think if you are highly stressed, as any dog would be, coming into this new home and this new scenario with the things that they've gone through, I just think sometimes um, asking them then to learn a whole bunch of new things that are you know, often quite arbitrary and pretty unnecessary is potentially adding a lot of stress. The only thing I really wanted to focus on with her was trying to slightly shift her emotional response to how she felt about certain things. She very Mm. much does not like joggers, bikes, motorbikes, anything that moves quickly. The only thing I focused on was taking her to quiet areas where she would see a jogger in the distance or a bike and just try and gently expose her to these things in a way that wasn't rush hour on the main road (laughs) and also then set her up for success so that then the jogger goes past three or four meters away and she just watches them calmly I can tell her that's amazing (laughs) you did so well we can have those times rather than like you say just pushing it and expecting a lot of them I've just found it more helpful to do the opposite really I think you're right that we do often want to do things so quickly And even though you can have a lot of knowledge, I've found this myself, you have to go through it, don't you, to really understand certain things or cement that knowledge. And 
I'm also aware that I might be making it sound like it's been easier than it has. Mm. I, I live just off a main road and that has had challenges. And there has been the odd day where you can try and manage all of these things and go at quieter times and try and put her in safe environments. And then a gang of teenagers comes tearing down on scooters around a corner and seems to just set you back because it's absolutely traumatized her. And especially I was so living in a city, it's not easy <laughs> and it is a bit of a higgledy piggledy line of progress you just do what you can do and try as much as you can to set them up in an environment that they can cope with for sure thinking about these lessons that Raina taught you and the, these different experiences you've gone through are there some main things that you um, would want to share with people listening when it comes to their relationship with their dogs try not to force it too much I know that's really difficult I know with for instance, with my dad, he really struggles. He's very hands-on and he's very intense. Mm. And every time we visit my parents, he's like, hello, Raina. And he wants to grab her. And <laughs> I understand where that is coming from. Yeah. But it really is just letting them come to you as much as possible. Do what you can just so that they view you as a safe option for some of these rescues they're not used to spending a lot of time with people I feel like with most dogs that's in there somewhere the ability to bond with humans is how dogs have been bred <laughs> for centuries it, it is in there somewhere but it's not a natural thing for some dogs so that can take time once they see you as a safe thing that provides them with good things and there isn't that pressure that bond will come and that's what's important if you do have a fearful dog or a reactive dog if they view you as safe that is the, the best thing. What I find with both of my dogs, Ivy is confident in some ways, but also has her fears as well. If they view you as safe, it's almost like an anchor. And I find with Raina that if she, if she anchors to myself and my husband, but then we'll show these moments of curiosity in the world. But then she knows if that goes wrong and she sniffs a dog and they growl at her, she can just run back to us. The clients that I work with that have got fearful dogs, it's right. How can we work on... Firstly, just your dog feeling really safe within its home environment, because that's where they spend the majority of their time, mm. really safe with the people in it. And then just starting to take that into the outside world as well. Yeah, I love that. The secure base is so important. And I think it makes them braver and able to be more curious, I think, when they know yeah. they can ping back to us when they need to. Yeah. And there might be emergency situations where we suddenly have to shout no, because something bad's about to happen. But as much as possible, we're trying to create environments where we're going, yes, that was great. Aren't you brave? Oh, that mm. was exactly what I wanted you to do. And we're limiting the dreaded no word. <laughs> as much as possible in terms of building confidence. I think that can only help. Yeah, absolutely. And if people um, want to learn more about you, Sam, and your work, where can they find you? Oh, in numerous places. I've got my website, samthedogcoach.co.uk. I'm on social media, so Instagram and Facebook at Sam the Dog Coach, where I share lots of lovely clients dogs and also ivy and Raina pop up a lot like you mentioned i have got a youtube channel which stars both of my girls where i mainly show different enrichment ideas that you can make at home very simply i should say that even though i now am in the real world again i do do behavioral support um, and training 
online as well remotely and have been doing that over the past year. So if you're not living in Southwest London, but would still like to get in touch, especially if you, you know, have a rescue or nervous rescue that you, you'd like to just talk through, please do feel free to get in touch. I'm more than happy to speak to anyone all over the world. You can also find information about Project Galgo as well. We've got a brand new website, which I'm so excited about, and also an Instagram page, which only got up and running a few days ago. Please do um, check us out. And if you're interested in becoming a foster carer or just interested in contacting Project Galgo, then please do. We've got some beautiful dogs that are already in the UK and others that we've reserved will hopefully be bringing over very soon. Perfect. And I, yeah, I would highly encourage people to check all of that out. I think it's such an important cause and a great thing that um, the charity is doing and I'll put a link to all of those different things in the show notes thank you Sam for joining us and telling Raina's story and a bit of Ivy's story too Uh, it was wonderful to hear about both of them thank you for having me it's it's always lovely to talk about my dog so thank you very much for having me along Thanks for listening to the That Dog Podcast, hosted and produced by me, Harriet Alexander of All Dogs Are Good. You can find out more about my work by visiting alldogsaregood.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite platform. And if you enjoyed the show and want to hear more, leave a review. It really does help the podcast. And now it's time to go and learn from your dog. Dog.